It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study welcome to the virtual bible study we're glad you're a part of it tonight it is the virtual bible study for june 7th we're live we're ready to go and we're ready for your participation this is a listener interactive program we meet every thursday night at this time to study the Bible together, and by studying the Bible together, we look forward to your questions or comments. Participate tonight over the phone at 931-381-4567 or by emailing us questions at collegeview.com. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, good to be with you on Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. Well, it is good to be with you, and we appreciate our listeners for joining us tonight. We have an interesting topic, Dad, really a topic that was prompted by one of our listeners uh, sending us a question. That's right. We've been uh, planning to discuss a question that was sent to us some time ago from a a listener in Iowa, Ben, out in Iowa, sent us a question about church discipline. And we've touched on this subject from time to time, but we've never had a program where we really got in depth about the necessity and the Bible teaching for church discipline. We want to do that tonight, Jacob, because we think it's an important subject. It is, unfortunately, a subject about which some people disagree, but hopefully we can go to the Word of God and look to the teachings there and come to some clear conclusion about what God wants us to do. We're talking about church discipline. Sometimes people call this withdrawing fellowship. And as we get into our study tonight, I want us to investigate that terminology, see if it's biblical. I actually think it's not a biblical uh, phrase to withdraw fellowship. I, I prefer to refer to it, Jacob, as church discipline. Yes, and to summarize Ben's question, we can throw it out there for our listeners to think about. He concludes his question by saying, disfellowshipping those who have fallen away appears to be unscriptural to me. So that's Ben's question and the position that he is presenting, that when someone falls away, that it is unnecessary to disfellowship them, is the word that he uses. What does the Bible teach about that? If you want to let us know your thoughts, send an email or give us a call. We're looking forward to hearing from you. As we talk about this important subject, Dad, it is a subject that's unpleasant. Unfortunately, it is a subject that's necessary. Yeah, I think everybody would agree. I, I, surely we wouldn't have any disagreement if we made the point that every person would rather that this never had to be done and that it never had to be discussed and that it was never necessary because... Everyone remained faithful, always dedicated in serving the Lord. But that, unfortunately, is not the case and never has been. Even back when the church first began in the first century, where they were those who became unfaithful and certain measures had to be taken to address their unfaithfulness, the Lord Jesus Christ himself spoke about that, as we'll see here in a minute. So we want to talk about this business of church discipline, of of how we deal with those who have become unfaithful or fallen away, What should we do? What does the Bible teach? As we're in the course of discussing this, we want to hear from our listeners. I'd also like to put out a a request. If you're listening, I'd like you to give us some feedback about the congregation or the church where you attend. 
has this does this happen? Does the church where you are, do they uh, take disciplinary measures toward those who have fallen away or become unfaithful? Uh, some churches don't do that. Some churches uh, are just inactive in this realm. Let us know what your experience is uh, relative to those who have fallen away. We'd like to hear from you and get some feedback from our listeners along that line. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com or call us right now at 931-381-4567. We want to hear from you on the program tonight. Well, Dad, it is a subject that's not uh, pleasant, but it is a subject that's necessary to discuss, and it is an action that the Bible commands. And so failing to do this, while it is unpleasant, would cause us to be unpleasing to God by failing to follow his instruction in this area. I think that's exactly right. It's a command of God, and we've got to obey the command even when we don't want to. We might be able to list any number of things that God has asked us to do that maybe we would you know, get left to our own. We might choose not to do it, but if we're going to be obedient to God, we've got to do it, and this is one of them. We could start off our discussion by talking about from whom are we to withdraw ourselves? And the, and the Bible actually gives a, a number of instructions as to people who should be addressed with this sort of action. For instance, Jesus specified in Matthew chapter 18 that those who sin against brethren and will not repent, this action should be taken. In Matthew 18, beginning verse 15, Jesus said, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Notice that Jesus actually suggested a three-step process here. If someone has wronged me, he says I should go to him and try to work it out. If if so, I've gained my brother if he if he, he makes it right. If he won't hear me, then I should seek two or three others, one or two others, he says, to go with me, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. If that works, if he repents, then I've gained my brother. But if he won't hear that second effort, then he goes on to say, tell it to the church. If he neglects to hear the church, let him be to the a heathen man and a publican. I think it's clear that the primary purpose for this was to get that brother to repent, to get him to address things that he had done wrong, to make it right. And I, I would suggest, Jacob, that this is the this is the primary emphasis of what we're talking about tonight. We're trying to get erring brethren, those who've fallen away. We're trying to trying to restore them, put them back in a right standing with God. You know, it is important here that we notice that uh, the discussion that Jesus has about this is directed towards the person who is faithful. His response to the person who is unfaithful, not the unfaithful per, faithful's person, his not his response to those who are faithful, but it is directed towards the unfaithful. That'll be important to notice as we get on into our discussion. You know, so yeah, and I think that some people would say, well, you know, it's his business, it's not my business. You know, if he if he has become unfaithful, that's his issue, and he's going to have to deal with it. Well, actually, Jesus is teaching us that it's our issue too. If we've got a brother who's unfaithful, a brother who's wronged someone. A brother guilty of sin who needs to repent. We've got to go to him and make effort to restore him. I really think that, by and large, brethren are are not as uh, diligent to deal with brethren who are unfaithful as they ought to be. It, it should be a great concern to us, and it, it's a, an obligation that we have to deal with them. 
All right. Let us know your thoughts. 931-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. As you mentioned, Dad, it is a responsibility, a burden that we bear as the brethren who remain faithful to try and restore those who have fallen away, who have become unfaithful. And Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17 is an excellent example of Christ's instructions to us, our obligation to those who have trespassed against us, who have sinned against us. Our attitude is not to, well, shame on them, let them go. Our attitude instead is to try and restore them because we care for them and we love them. Acts chapter, or 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 has a similar instruction, and the instruction is directed to those who are living immoral lives. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11 says, But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one, know not to eat. The instruction there, Dad, is that those who are living lives of immoral nature should be noted, and we should not have a social interaction with those people. I think that's exactly right, and I think it's notable there in that case in Corinth that the church, this situation had been going on for some time, and the church at Corinth had been neglecting it. In in 1 Corinthians 5, beginning verse 1, he said, It's reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife, and ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from you. And so Paul was rebuking the church at Corinth. They weren't the, the guilty offenders, but he was rebuking them because they had allowed this guilty offender to continue on, and they had not addressed his sin. And so a church today would be under that same condemnation if we've got... Uh, those who are guilty of sin, who won't repent of their sins, who may be living some immoral uh, form of life, and we're not addressing that, not paying attention to that, then we would be under the same condemnation as the Corinthians. Exactly right. They they had overlooked that sin. They were just allowing that person to remain around, and they were condemned. And we, again, see our responsibility to those who are living immoral lives We need to make a note of that. We need to avoid social interaction with them. It's our responsibility as Christians. Going on, Jacob, to talk about more of those who are identified as needing to be addressed with church discipline, certainly false teachers would fall into that category. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning verse 3, Paul said, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, from such withdraw thyself. And so false teachers, if, if we found someone who's guilty of a false doctrine, spreading uh, that which is not according to the Lord's truth, then we, we ha- would have to address that person and, and withdraw ourselves from someone who was guilty of that. So you begin to see that there's sort of a compilation of instructions here from the Word of God as to who should be... Uh, approached and dealt with uh, as a congregation has these issues, these these kind of people have to be uh, taken care of. You know, you said something there, Dad, that was interesting, though. You said that the, these are candidates for church discipline. So far, I haven't seen any instructions to a church. I've seen instructions to an individual, and these are individual responsibilities done collectively, but individual responsibilities. That's right. Uh, but we're going to see in a minute when we get to the point of how this is to be done, that it is done in a congregational setting. We're going to talk here in a minute about how this action should be pursued, uh, but uh, we're going to see that it's done in a congregational setting. All right. The number to call is 931-381-4567. We'd love to take a call from you tonight 
or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Those are the two ways you can participate in this listener participation program. We're studying the Bible together, and we can benefit from your insight or even your questions. So we encourage you to join in on the discussion tonight. We've got an email from our friend Jack down in Georgia. Jack, we're glad you listened to the virtual Bible study tonight. And he says, is it necessary for everyone in the congregation to be a part of the church discipline? Would those who do not participate in the discipline be wrong? What do you do with parents who do not practice discipline when it's their children that have to be withdrawn from? Are they themselves in sin? How can we make discipline effective if the Christian withdraws himself from the body and refuses to assemble with the saints? Well, Jack's actually touched on two or three things there that probably we want to get into in the course of this discussion. Um, first of all, uh, well, l- let's let's hold on that question about everyone in the congregation being a part of that. Uh, I, I think the answer to it is yes, everyone should be a part of it if, if it's a congregational disciplinary action and, it, and it's going to diminish the effectiveness if not everyone is involved. We could talk about... Well, we don't, you know, we don't even have to look at any more instructions than we already have. And the ones we said, Dad, are individual in nature, and we each have a responsibility towards our brother on an individual basis. And so if any individual in the congregation does not follow the instructions that we've already looked at, Dad, they would be wrong just because uh the fact that uh, they're uh, not uh, following those instructions. All right, let's try that again. Go ahead. Looks like maybe we're locked up there, Jacob. Go ahead and continue. I think we're going again. Okay. Um, we've talked about uh, we've talked about some who need this disciplinary action. We've talked about uh, um, those who sin against brethren and won't repent. Uh, those who are living immoral lives. We talked about false teachers. I tell you one that I think is rather rare, and that is those who cause division in the body of Christ. Uh, those people need to be disciplined as well. And the scriptures tell us about that. Um, Jacob, are we going? All right. Uh, those who cause divisions, Romans chapter 16, verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. You know, that's a pretty rare thing. Very seldom do you hear of churches that uh, um, mark a, a, a divisive brother and discipline a divisive person. But Romans 16, verse 17 says that those people need to be identified and dealt with as well. So uh, that would be another one to add to the list of people who need disciplinary action, those who cause division in the body of Christ. We're back up. We're talking about... Uh withdrawing ourselves having a little technical difficulty there but we're back up now and we hope that you're there Uh, we're talking about the fact that uh, the bible's instructed this on an individual basis and so we need to uh make sure that we understand the instructions from god's word we're going to take a break we're overdue for that and uh, we'll continue on the other side hopefully technical glitch free right after this after these important messages we'll be back to take your comments email them during this break Hi, my name is Mike Smith, and I'm a member of the College of Church of Christ on Hampshire Pike. Let me ask you some questions. Do you remember when churches insisted on Bible authority for everything they did? Can you recall when church members always expected they thus saith the Lord? Can you remember when the church was well known for its book, chapter, and verse style of teaching and preaching? Are you upset because the church you're attending doesn't always, doesn't always approach things this way anymore? Does it concern you that elders and preachers don't seem to care about Bible authority at all? 
we're still trying to do everything according to the New Testament pattern. If you're looking for a church like the one you remember from the past, please visit us soon at the College of Church of Christ this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Hi, I'm Kent Bumgardner. And I'm Mindy. And we're from Jackson, Tennessee. And we love to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study. We hope you're out there. We've had a few technical glitches tonight. We lost our Internet connection, but we think it's back now, and so... We're looking forward to continuing the discussion with you on this important subject of church discipline. We talked about the fact that it is an individual responsibility. The instructions are towards individuals, not to the church in particular, which is a church activity, and the church definitely has a role to play in it. But it gets down on a personal level. When Jesus told us in Matthew 18, verses 15 and 15 through 17, it says, If a brother trespasses against thee... And so we see it as an individual activity. A brother would trespass against an individual. And uh, so we as individuals have responsibility to that individual. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11, uh, we read that uh, we are not to eat with a brother who is living an immoral life. And so there's another individual instruction. As an individual, we're not to eat with that person. And we're to withdraw ourselves in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. And so... Underlying the the emphasis here that it is an individual activity. Okay, I believe we're getting out there, Jacob. Looks like looks like it's working. All right. All right. Sorry for the sorry for the technical problems. We we didn't expect that, and it's kind of caught us off guard. But we're going to try to try to put this back together now. See if we can summarize what we've talked about. We're we're we we've been talking so far, Jacob, about those who need to be disciplined. Uh, and basically it's those who have become unfaithful to the Lord. Uh, those who sin against brethren won't repent. Those who live immoral lives, false teachers, those who cause division. And then sort of as a, as a catch-all or a summary, we could talk about those who walk disorderly. Uh, let, let's summarize this section of our discussion by saying that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 6, Paul wrote, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. Notice the expression, walking disorderly. So if there's a brother walking disorderly, then he is to be withdrawn from. Withdraw yourselves, Paul says there in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Now that's sort of a catch-all because in verse 14, he says, if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. So if if he's not obeying what Paul taught in this epistle, earlier in the epistle, Paul said, brethren, stand fast. Chapter 2, verse 15, stand fast. Hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or epistle. So in this epistle, Paul said, you need to be doing everything we've taught you, either in person or by letter. And then he says, if anybody doesn't do that, then have no company with him, withdraw yourselves from him. And so I think that literally any sin that a person might be guilty of could fall into this category of sins that would require disciplinary action if people won't repent. So let's just summarize the first part of our discussion to say, who should we withdraw from? Well, we should withdraw ourselves from anybody who's guilty of sin and won't repent of that sin. That's what the Bible teaches there. You know, that Second Thessalonians 3, verse 6, you noted there, really does 
catch catch it all. And when we have a brother who is living in sin who will not repent, then the obligation again is to us to mark that person and to have no company with them. All right. Let's also look then at uh, at the procedure, Dad, how it is to be done, how it is to be accomplished. Okay. So we start out by simply acknowledging that this is the reality. We've got to... We've got to identify the wrongdoer, and we've got to alert people that this is his situation. Basically, we've got to make it known. In Second Thessalonians 3, verse 14, where we just read, it says, If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Romans sixteen seventeen that we read earlier, said, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them, which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Now, the two phrases there, Second Thessalonians 3.14 says, note that man. Romans chapter 16, verse 17 says, mark him. Those are not mystery terms. That just simply means basically let it be known. That's right. Uh, it is a, an acknowledgment of that person, marking them, noting them. Second Thessalonians 3.14, Romans 16, verse 17. Make an acknowledgment, Dad, of that person. Make sure that you know that person is not living as they should. You know, a lot of times people don't like to have sin identified, but those verses say it has to be identified. Let it be known. Mark the man. All right. And it is a collective action. We've talked about the fact that this is individual, that we all have individual responsibilities in this, and that if a Christian is unwilling to assume their responsibility towards the brother who is in error, then that person on an individual level is at fault. But it is done in a, in a collective manner, Dad, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. It is a collective action. It has individual responsibilities, but it is done as a collective, as a collective body. It says right there in First Corinthians six, uh, or excuse me, First Corinthians five, that we do this when we're gathered together, and that and that corresponds with what we read earlier from Jesus in Matthew chapter eighteen, verse seventeen. It says, "Tell it to the church." So we do this this way in the assembly, so all are aware. And this goes back. Now, I want to go back. We didn't really thoroughly cover the question we read from Jack earlier. Jack asked, is it necessary for everyone in the congregation to be a part of the church discipline? Would those who do not participate in the discipline be wrong? I think, yes, it's necessary. It's not going to be effective if everyone's not involved. And those who refuse to participate are actually disobeying the command of God. And so the answer to that part of Jack's question would be absolutely yes. Everyone needs to be involved. Now, he he asked a follow-up question. What do you do with parents who won't practice discipline when it's their own children that have been withdrawn from? Are they themselves in sin? I think there's a little bit of a caveat that we have to offer here. You know, there are other relationships besides our spiritual relationships in the body of Christ. We're talking about these things affecting our our relationship in the body of Christ. But, for instance, if it's my wife who's been disciplined, she's still my wife. I still have obligations to her as a wife. I'm still obviously going to have to have contact with her in the family relationship. I think that would also extend to children, certainly dependent children. If I have dependent children in my home and they've been disciplined in a congregation, I still have obligations toward dependent children. Now, I think there's some judgment to be exercised as to how far that 
that would go in a family relationship. And different people might have different opinions. We'd love to hear some input from that. But it, I believe that that even as a parent, if my child was disciplined, that I would want to react in such fashion that they certainly are aware that I do not condone what they have done. But but again, we understand that there are there are some relationships that are uh, above uh, or, or I don't probably shouldn't say above, but there are relationships that are outside the realm of the relationship in the body of Christ, and those and those specific rare cases may require some additional judgments to be exercised as to how to react. And I don't think we need to necessarily, though, emphasize that because those type of situations tend to take care of themselves and tend to maybe uh, people go a little bit too far in the uh, maintaining of those relationships. And so those really take care of themselves. The instruction for us that we've got to be careful about is understanding that uh, these things are required of us as Christians, and we've got to make sure that we're fulfilling the command that uh, that God has given us in making sure that we note those who are unfaithful. We got an email from Jim in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee. Jim, we're glad you're listening tonight. He says, The scriptures are clear on the purpose of discipline to restore the erring saint. The problem that exists is that far too many believe that, quote, love will cover a multitude of sins, unquote, and feel we should be more kind and caring to brethren. They they confuse the process of discipline, the act of having to discipline one, with the purpose of the discipline, the desire to restore such one, and think that if we discipline saints that somehow we don't love them. I think Jim's exactly right, and, and I hope that this can be emphasized. I hope that this this point is clear to everyone, that the purpose of this action is because we love the person Ultimately, we love them ultimately. We love their soul. We don't want them to be lost in hell. And so we're willing to forego our social relationship with these people in order to alert them to their spiritual danger and hopefully bring them back and get them to be restored to a right standing with God. You know, and that's an important point, and we'll probably talk about this later on in the discussion, but we're not just washing our hands of this person. It's not. This is not an easy way out where we just say we're not going to have anything to do with them. Uh, we don't. Uh, we're done with them. We're saying that we we are trying to restore them. We're still holding out hope, and we're still exerting effort to try and restore them. Our efforts towards their soul have not concluded at this point. In fact, yeah, they may have just begun. Uh, we've got another question from Anthony here in Columbia, Tennessee, and Anthony asked the question: uh, What if a brother leaves the Lord's church and say joins a denomination? What if they are a relative? How is this different from someone in the world or another relative that's always been lost? I think there is a difference. In other words, the instructions that we've read so far about disciplining an unfaithful brother in Christ, we're going to we're going to react differently toward them than we are to a lost person in the world who maybe never has uh, been a brother, never has been in a right relationship with the Lord. And we're going to do that simply because the scriptures teach a different approach. Um, we have specific instruction toward, toward one who's fallen away. And I think the reason being is because that they are in a, a, a very particularly precarious situation. In Second Peter chapter 2, Peter talked about how bad the, sh- the condition is of one who falls away. He says, if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. That's Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20. So I think, yes, we do react different to a brother who's fallen away than to a lost sinner who's never been in Christ. The reason being the lost sinner 
can still be reached with the gospel. He's never, he's never, you know, um, made a, a response to the gospel. But the brother who falls away, it, Peter said he's in a worse condition than if he had never obeyed the gospel because now here's a fellow who's accepted the truth, been obedient to it, and then later made a decision to turn away. He, he's in a particularly precarious situation because uh, the gospel the power of the gospel to him has been diminished. So, yes, I, I, in answer to Anthony's question, I think we do react differently, and that's the reason why. There's a passage, I think, that speaks directly to your question, Anthony. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning of verse 9. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, for then you must needs go out of the world. But I've written unto you that you not keep company of any man that is called a brother, be a fornicator, or covetous, or idolater, or railer, or a drunkard, or extortioner with such a one, no not to eat. The instruction of Paul was there, Dad, if we were not to have anything to do with someone who is a sinner and won't repent, we couldn't have anything to do with anybody in this world. Um, but the instruction there is for those who have been, been Christians who have fallen away, then we uh, employ this action so that we can try and restore them. From their fault, I believe that's right, and 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 again, I, I would argue that the reason being is that uh, they've put themselves in that very particularly precarious situation, uh, having once known the truth to turn their back on it. So I, I appreciate your question, Anthony. I hope that helps to answer the question. I think it's a, a, a worthy question, and uh, uh, hopefully, as we think about that, we can see how that would be a different situation but thanks for your question thanks for listening all right let's take a break we're a little bit late on that let's do that now and we'll hopefully hear from you during the break via email questions at collegeview.com or over the phones at 931-381-4567 take a minute and join in on the discussion we'll be right back after this did you hear what they just said call in during this break and let everyone know what you think the virtual bible study continues after this announcement me again mike smith at the college of church of christ let me ask you some more questions do you remember when the pulpit was used for the purpose of convicting sinners and teaching them how to be saved? Are you tired of preachers who seem more inclined to entertain their audience than to teach them the truth? Does it seem that sermons you are, te- you are hearing each week could as easily be given in a PTA meeting or a social club? Do you remember when sin was called sin, yet at the end of the sermon you knew, by book, chapter, and verse, what the preacher was talking about and why? Well, we're still preaching the old Jerusalem gospel that you read about in your Bible. We invite you to investigate for yourself. Please come and see the Sunday at the Cosby Church of Christ at 9.30 a.m. on Hampshire Pike. I'm Arthur Haynes from Kaleoka, Tennessee, and one of my greatest highlights of the week is to listen to the virtual Bible study. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. Welcome back to the virtual Bible study. We're live on Thursday night, and we're glad that you've joined us. And we look forward to your participation. Join in on the phone or over email on the virtual Bible study tonight as we talk about church discipline, withdrawing ourselves from those who are unfaithful. We've had a little trouble with our audio stream on the Internet tonight, but we hope you're out there listening now. We hope we, we think we've got that all straightened out and we're working normally again. So apologize for that glitch and uh, hope that you've been able to reconnect with us. If you ever have trouble with that, uh, just keep hitting the play button on your media player. We we usually are aware. We, we, we're tracking it ourselves, and we're usually aware when the audio stream has a 
a blip on it, and we're working to get that uh, reestablished. So if you will just sit there and every five or ten seconds keep hitting the play button on your media player, usually when we get back up, you'll be back listening to us. But we apologize for the trouble tonight. Jacob, I, I suggested something earlier that I think we need to investigate, and that is the, the, the right terminology relative to this action that we're describing tonight. You know, it's very common to hear people talk about withdrawing fellowship. And uh, I would encourage you, if, if that's your if that's been your normal way of, of de, uh, describing or identifying what we're talking about tonight, I would encourage you to not use that terminology because it's not biblical. Uh, you can't find that phrase in the New Testament, withdraw fellowship. It's just not there. What is there instead is the phrase, withdraw yourselves. In Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 16, Notice it says, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. And so we withdraw ourselves. And I believe what he's describing there is the process of withdrawing our social company from those who've become unfaithful. There are a number of other expressions that suggest this same thing. For instance, the word avoid is used in Romans 16, 17. Brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. First uh, Corinthians chapter five verse eleven says not to keep company with, and also says with such a one, know not to eat. Uh, so those those expressions denote the idea I, I'm I'm withdrawing myself from this person, and I'm not going to have social company with him anymore. It may be the fact that we've enjoyed one another's pleasant company in the past, but now because this brother has fought, brother or sister has fallen away and become unfaithful to the Lord, I'm going to sacrifice that pleasant social relationship that I've enjoyed with them in the past for the very purpose of alerting them to the fact that they are in a desperate spiritual condition and need to repent. And so I believe that we would do well to use the biblical terminology there, withdraw yourselves, instead of withdrawing fellowship, which phrase is not found in the New Testament. All right. And so what are the implications then, Dad? What, when we say that we're not withdrawing fellowship, but we're withdrawing ourselves, what, what are the implications? Well, I believe it is the idea, you know, we're going to talk here. We've we got to get to this question that Ben asked us. What about someone who's fallen away already? How can we discipline someone who's fallen away? And the question is often asked, how can you withdraw from the withdrawn? If someone has already withdrawn himself, if he stopped attending, if he if he doesn't even desire to be considered a member of the congregation any longer, how can you withdraw from the withdrawn? That's the question that's usually asked. But the argument that's made is is actually based upon a phrase that's not found in the New Testament. The phrase withdraw fellowship is not found in the New Testament. In other words, it, it may literally be the case that the spiritual fellowship has already been broken by virtue of the actions that this person has taken, but there's still something left for me to do, and that is to withdraw my social company from him. Uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 10 says, A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition, reject. That word in other versions is avoid, shun, refuse. And so I can refuse to be in his company. I can refuse to eat with him like 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 11 says. It may be so that, that our fellow, our spiritual fellowship has been broken by his actions, but I still have the option of saying since that's the case, 
I'm not going to keep company with that man. I'm not going to eat with that man. I'm going to forego the social uh, relationship that we used to enjoy so that hopefully he'll be aware of just how serious I think his situation is and he'll be motivated to repent. It underlines the importance for us to have a close relationship with our brethren, though, Dad, because why would someone be upset and concerned if we avoid or we don't keep company with someone or we don't even eat with someone? Why would they care if we don't eat with them to begin with, if we don't have any company with them to begin with, and if we're already avoiding them? What would be the difference with them, faithful or unfaithful, in that circumstance? Uh, that's right, and I think it's why it's very important for us to nurture and develop close relationships in the body of Christ so that we have this tool to use for one another. In other words, if I developed a, a close relationship with other brethren in the church, if I become unfaithful, then they'll have that leverage to try and draw me back. On the other hand, if they become unfaithful, I'll have this leverage to try and draw them back. But it is very important. And, of course, the New Testament teaches us to do that, that we should work to develop and nurture close relationships with one another. Um, in Romans chapter 12, for instance, verse 10, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. And all such passages as that that tell me that I should work hard to try and develop close personal relationships with my brethren. It's to my advantage. It'll help me. If I fall away, they can draw me back. If they fall away, I can draw them back. And so I think it is exactly uh, uh, one of the reasons why this is so important to have close relationships in the body of Christ. All right. The number to call is 931-381-4567. Email address is questions at collegeview.com. About 20 minutes to take your questions or comments. We look forward to hearing from you on the virtual Bible study. We appreciate you, Jack, for joining in on the discussion. We appreciate Jim and Mount Pleasant. Anthony has also chimed in. I think that's all we've had so far tonight, but we're glad you're listening, and we appreciate your participation. We would like the rest of you to join in on the discussion tonight. This this that we're discussing right now, Jacob, goes to the question that was asked by our friend Ben out in Iowa and it's also a question that's the last part of the question that Jack asked that we read earlier in the the uh, discussion. The last part of his question, Jack said, how can we make discipline effective if the Christian withdraws himself from the body and refuses to assemble with the saints? Well, I hope that our, our previous comments answered that part of Jack's question. Very often that happens when someone falls away. I would say in the vast majority of cases, now I've known a few exceptions, but in the vast majority of cases, when someone falls away from faithfully serving the Lord, they they also stop uh, attending the assemblies. But that still doesn't negate our need to try and reach them, to restore them. And that, as we said at the outset, that's what this action is primarily designed to do, is to draw them back, to reach them, to get them to be restored, to repent of their sin. And so... It, it it makes it difficult, but it's still an action that we take as as a last resort to notify someone of their dangerous spiritual condition. You know, the, the church at Corinth was doing just the opposite of that. They were going along like these people who were living in sin were just fine. There was nothing in error. There was no reason for alarm. And Paul tells them, you need to do something different than that. You need to let them know that their soul is in danger. And so our actions towards the person who is fallen away, show them that their soul is in danger and that correction needs to be made. And so we must understand the purpose for our action. 931-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Uh, a follow-up question from Jack. He says, who decides who and when a person needs to be withdrawn from? 
What about situations where there's disagreement among the saints concerning how to handle those who need to be disciplined? Well, that is a tough situation, especially tough, for, for instance, in a congregation where maybe they're not elders and there needs there has to be consensus among the brethren. That becomes a difficult thing, and, and uh, I'm not sure I have the good answer to that. Hopefully, everybody can be on the same page. Hopefully, everybody can agree that this is a situation that needs to be addressed. There's some judgment involved as to as to when this should happen. And in a congregation where there are not elders, there would have to be some consensus of the men of the congregation to do that. Hopefully, in a congregation with elders, the elders would be in agreement and could lead the congregation in that action. And then as members of the church, we'd be obligated to follow the leadership of the elders in that decision to discipline an unfaithful brother. But I think on an individual level, Dad, if the church is not taking action and we feel that action needs to be taken, we can do that on an individual level, and we should. We have individual responsibility. So we would indiv- we could individually avoid that person and uh, fail to eat with them. No, in other words, uh, I could still, as an individual brother, let him know how serious I think his condition is and make some individual commitment to deal with his, his situation, even if the congregation couldn't come to a consensus agreement about that. You know, and I also might do that with a brother who is not a member of the congregation I'm a member of. Uh, maybe I have close ties with someone uh, across the country in California, maybe. And I learned that he has fallen away. I can break those social uh, interactions with that brother, uh, and uh, and and I should do that. I think on an individual level, where the congregation may not get involved in that circumstance. Uh, one more follow-up from Jack. He asked the question: How do you handle a brother who decides to go to another congregation rather than stay at the congregation where discipline has been carried out on his behalf? What is the responsibility of his past congregation and his new congregation? Well, that's that's an uh, an additional tough question to handle. Uh, in other words, in this local congregation where I'm a member, we're obligated to deal with unfaithful brethren. What anybody else does, what any other individual who's not a member of this church or whatever any other congregation might do does not change the responsibilities that this congregation has toward an unfaithful member. If he refuses to repent, we should still take this action. And, and that, and it's not affected by anything else. In other words, he was a member here when he became unfaithful, and we have a God-given duty to try and restore him. Uh, if uh, now, what about the congregation that he goes to? Well, I believe that those brethren have an obligation to check him out and see if he's faithful in the Lord. You know, when Paul went to uh, Jerusalem after his conversion, when he returned back to Jerusalem. Uh, the brethren there were not immediately ready to receive him into their fellowship. But in Acts chapter 9, verse 27, Barnabas took Paul and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him, how he had preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus. And then he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And so uh, the church at Jerusalem was not ready to just immediately extend fellowship to Paul until they were convinced that he was a faithful brother. And I think we have that same obligation. Any congregation would. So let's, uh, according to Jack's question here, the brother becomes unfaithful here. We discipline him. He goes off to some other congregation. What should they do? Well, they should check him out to see if he's faithful. I do not believe that other congregations are necessarily obligated to observe disciplinary action taken someplace else. Now, if it was a proper disciplinary action, they should certainly take that into 
consideration. If it was a proper disciplinary action and the brother really does need to repent, then they should not extend fellowship to him. Uh, but sometimes congregations uh, administer discipline where they should not. And therefore, every congregation is autonomous and independent, and each one will have to make its own decision. But typically speaking, if this brother is really unfaithful here, and he leaves and goes to some other congregation, that other congregation, if they're doing their job, will investigate his faithfulness. They'll find out about this problem, and their reaction to him would be to send him back here to to get this matter resolved, to get him to repent, to be restored. Then he can go and be identified with them. All right, time for our last break, and we'll take it, and we'll hopefully hear from you. 931-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We'll continue our discussion of church discipline right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. I'm Tom Goodall, a member of College View Church of Christ. Do you have a question about what has been said on the virtual Bible study tonight? Perhaps you disagree with something that was said, or would just like more information about what you've heard. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us with any questions or comments that you might have. Email us at questions at collegeview.com, and we can discuss any of your questions or comments with you privately or over email. Or if you would like to speak with someone in person, call us at 931 381 Our promise to you is that we'll do our very best to give you a Bible answer for anything that we do or teach, and that we will do so in a loving manner. So if you have any questions or comments about our program tonight or any Bible subject, email us at questions at collegeview.com or call 931-381-4567. Thanks for listening to tonight's virtual Bible study, and we hope to hear from you soon. Hello, my name's Jeffrey Vernon. I'm 13, and this is the virtual Bible study. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the virtual Bible study. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll make this a regular Thursday night appointment to join us on the virtual Bible study. This program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. Find out more by visiting our website, collegeview.com. If you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to come and worship with us at your earliest convenience. We are talking about church discipline, our responsibility to those who have fallen away, turned their back on the Lord, and are living in ways that are not pleasing to him. What are our responsibilities as a church and as individuals? We're talking about that on the virtual Bible study tonight. One last point, Jacob, that we need to make. We're talking about how should this discipline be carried out. We basically, First of all, we talked about who needs to be disciplined, and basically it's those who sin and won't repent. And any sin could lead to this action if a person won't repent. We do this by identifying the, the, the sinner and in, in the assembly. Uh, we, we withdraw ourselves from them, indicating that we're not going to have social company with them anymore. But something that needs to be stressed, and we've been talking about this throughout the program, is our real purpose is to, to restore them. We're not doing this to be vindictive or hateful. We're really trying to reach them and restore them. And Paul says, even after such a person has been disciplined, notice what he said in Second Thessalonians three fourteen and 15. If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. And that's what we've talked about so far, but notice his follow-up instruction. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. And so we would continue to try and admonish such a person. We're not going to be hateful or mean, ugly or, or anything to this person. We're going to withdraw our social fellowship, our social, uh, uh, relationship with that person as we have been discussing. 
but we're still going to use every opportunity that we have to try and admonish this person to restore them. That is the the purpose. That's what we're after. We're trying to get this person to be restored. You know, I think there's a reason why it says here not to count the person as a brother, as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. You know, it is something that hurts us personally when someone turns their back on the Lord and uh, they quit living in a way that we think they ought to live because it does something to us personally. It uh, is is an insult to our faith. If someone else says that that faith is not valuable and I don't want to live that way, that that hurts us personally. we got to make sure, Dad, that we don't allow it to affect our personal attitude towards that person. We've got to continue to love them exactly the way we loved them before. We have the a desire for their soul to be saved, and we've got to make sure that we admonish them in the, along those lines. We probably add one more point to this discussion, so we're going we're gonna to withdraw ourselves from this unfaithful brother. But we're going to continue to admonish him as a brother. He's not going to be our enemy. We're going to admonish him as a brother. And then if and when he repents, the, the, the one more final step in the process would be to forgive him. In Second Corinthians chapter 2, Paul talks about this disciplinary case that had been mentioned in the first letter, First Corinthians chapter 5. Apparently the fellow was disciplined and he repented. And Paul said in Second Corinthians 2, verse 6, sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many, so that contrary-wise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. And so the final step of the process, when it's successful and he is restored, is forgive him. And that answers a question that people often raise or an objection people often raise is that it just doesn't work. It worked in that situation and it will work today as well. Exactly right. Got a follow up from Anthony uh, here in Columbia who says, uh, can you again discuss your thoughts on what we're to do if the subject of discipline is a relative? What about an, any innocent children involved? Um, now, I'm, I'm thinking that what Anthony is describing there, let's say that I've got a, bro- a, a brother in the flesh who has become unfaithful, but he's got children who are innocent. In other words, they would be my nieces and nephews, and they are innocent. They're just children, and they're not sinners. How would we deal with that situation? Obviously, it can become very difficult. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to show my brother in the flesh that I believe he's unfaithful to the Lord. And I'm going to have to, it's going, it's going to affect how we're able to enjoy one another's company almost uh, certainly. But his children are not guilty of any such sin. His innocent children, I'm talking, I think he's describing maybe minor children, not even of the age of accountability. And I'm not, I'm definitely not going to try to take any action toward them other than to show them love and concern. And so, but it can become very difficult. It can become a challenging thing. Um, but I, I believe that their family, there are, there are, spiritual relationships in the body of christ but there are also family relationships and and they are not always they do not always overlap and and sometimes in physical families uh, in other words uh, if you weren't related to my brother in the flesh you would it would be cut and dried for you whereas for me with my brother in the flesh it, it may be more complicated and i have to exercise some more stringent judgments it may be more difficult to decide everything uh it, it makes it tough. But if we understand that the the real reason behind it all is to restore such a person, there, I should be most most of all interested in restoring my own family members who've fallen away. Therefore, I should not neglect to address 
that situation. And that's not substitute our wisdom for God's wisdom. This is God's plan, and so we need to be willing to follow it uh, to its fullest extent, even though it may seem like it uh, is a painful thing for us. We need to submit our wisdom to God's and realize this is his will. Um, Jacob, let's talk about why we should do this. Um, you know, we've talked about who and how uh, in the matter of, of uh, disciplinary action. Why should we do it? And I think the first answer is just simply to obey God. We've looked at the verses tonight. We've read them, and, and they very clearly say that this is to be done. So we ought to do it. Whether or not our human wisdom acknowledges that this is beneficial, we should do it simply because God's word says to do it, and we ought to do it to obey God, bottom line. Exactly right. We must obey God, and it also, as we've noted, is for the sake of the brother who is lost, Second Thessalonians 3, verses 14 and 15, it says, if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him. Notice why, that he may be ashamed. They count him not as many, but, uh, but admonish him as a brother. The reason that we do it is so that he might be ashamed. And 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5 says, to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Again, it is so that their soul might be saved, so they might repent, see the error of their way, correct their life, and be in a right relationship with God. That's why we do this. And also, we do it for the sake of the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, when Paul was telling the church at Corinth to discipline that unfaithful brother, he said in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 and 7, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Notice, Paul suggested that it was for the sake of the church, too that it purges out the evil from the church. I believe that those who are in the church learn a lesson that such evil will not be tolerated. And so the church benefits by the process too. And in that sense, this process is always successful. Even if the erring brother is not restored, the church still is, the, the purity of the church is maintained. And those in the church are taught a moral lesson about how, Evil cannot be tolerated, and in that sense, the action is always successful. All right, we have four minutes left in the program. It's time to jump in to Ben's question. What about someone who has fallen away? Can we exercise these actions that the Lord has given us? And the answer seems to be obvious based on what we've said, Dad. The actions we've talked about so far are for and only for the person who has fallen away. Well, let me real quick summarize what we've been saying. What about this idea of withdrawing from the withdrawn? First of all, much of the argumentation is based upon faulty terminology. Withdrawing fellowship is not mentioned in the New Testament. Withdrawing ourselves is mentioned. And so why should we do it? Because it's God's command. The erring brother needs it, even if he's withdrawn himself. He's not assembling with the church anymore. He still needs it. He needs to be restored. The church still needs it because it needs to be taught this lesson that sin cannot be tolerated and purity must be maintained. Uh, you know, the idea of shepherds over the flock, you know, elders are the spiritual shepherds of a, of a flock. What If you think of physical shepherds over sheep, what if one of them wanders off, just leaves? What does the shepherd do? He says, well, he left. I can't do anything. He he left on his own accord, and, and he doesn't want to be a part of the flock anymore. Therefore, I just got to let him go. No, a shepherd would go after that lost sheep. Even if the sheep has wandered off and is not in the fold anymore, the shepherd would go after such a one, and I think that that would clearly set the pattern for what we should do. 
I really believe, Jacob, that the scriptures teach there's only three ways you can leave a local congregation. Obviously, when you die, you'll no longer be a member of a faithful con- of a local congregation. You can leave in good standing. And we read of people who did that. For instance, uh, in Acts uh, chapter 18, we read about Apollos who left Ephesus, went to Corinth. He left in good standing, and the church let, sent him a letter of commendation along with him. You can leave in good standing, so that you, either by death or to leave in good standing to go and be identified with another congregation. The third way, then, would be to be withdrawn from because you become unfaithful. I can't think of other ways to leave a faithful congregation than those three ways. Now, Ben's question, I, I want to specifically deal with one aspect of Ben's questions. He says, uh, what about, he says, all the verses tend to be talking about those who profess to be active members of the church. Uh, these all appear to be active members of the church living in public sin and bringing disgrace upon the church. Disfellowshipping those who have fallen away appears to be unscriptural to me. Well, again, be careful about that terminology, disfellowshipping or withdrawing fellowship. That's not a biblical terminology. And I think for the reasons that we've just described, it would still be necessary. He's still a brother. In other words, uh, he, he may be unfaithful, and he might even say, I don't care to be a member of the church anymore. I don't want to be a member of the church, but he's still a brother. He's an erring brother, but he's still a brother, and we have a, a spiritual obligation to restore him to a right relationship with God. That's right, and so it is our responsibility Dad, we appreciate Ben for sparking the interest in this discussion tonight. And, Ben, if you have any follow-up comments on what we've said tonight, we look forward to hearing from you. But, Dad, we had an important discussion about our church discipline. It is an uncomfortable subject, and hopefully it is purely an academic subject that we never have to do this. But in reality, we will. It is a necessary activity that we must be involved in when someone falls away and stops living as they should. But God's plans work, Dad, and we need to have the willingness to follow God's plans. If we will follow his plans, it will work. It will accomplish its desired objective. And so we need to be making sure that we're willing to submit our will to God's. I think that's exactly right. Uh, it's an important study. It's not a pleasant thing, but it's a necessary thing. And we appreciate those who studied along with us tonight. And, again, if you have more questions, uh, our email address is available 24-7. Send us an email, questions at collegeview.com. And uh, thanks to Ben for uh, getting us to study that subject. Uh, and uh, sorry it's taken us a while to get back to that, but uh, I do believe it's important. Dad, let's try it again next week without any technical difficulties. Yeah, we're sorry for our technical problems tonight. And thank you for those of you who hung in there with us and saw us through. We'll try to do better next time. Make your plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.